Welcome to the Zeitgeist 19 curated podcast, exploring the spirit of now through the lens of art and sustainability. Your hosts are Farah Piria and Elizabeth Zhovkova. In this episode, I have the pleasure to meet Cora Shibani, a Swiss-born, London-based jewelry designer who launched her eponymous line in 2002. We gaze into the future of jewelry design through the lens of sustainability and ethical sourcing, one of the biggest challenges in the industry nowadays. Going down memory lane, Cora shares more about the influence behind her creative practice and her view on the functionality and role of jewelry in our contemporary lives. Hi Cora, it's a great pleasure having you here with us today. I would like to start with a question. What does jewelry mean to you? What was your first memorable encounter with it? And what is the inspiration behind your line? Thank you, Elizabeth, for having me here. Um, I, I have to say, I don't really remember the first time jewelry was part of my life. It always seems to be have been part of my life. Um, my mother wore jewelry. Um, I remember getting jewelry at a, at a very young age, making you know, bracelets out of beads. Um, uh, I do remember that uh, my mother allowed me to choose as a stone, um, a small stone in a in a shop in Zurich called Sieber and Sieber. It's a mineral store. It still exists today. And when I was a child growing up in Zurich, it was very famous for having a museum. There were, even had dinosaur bones in it and they had different shops throughout um um Switzerland and I was allowed to choose a small stone that my mother said she would set in gold for me and uh, I chose a small orange carnelian um oval kind of lentil shaped uh, cabochon and she said that and I wore it and I don't even know how old I was when that happened maybe eight ten um I wore jewelry at a very young age already um, and I guess my mother did too. And even before that, my mother uh, gave me a, a small, very, very thin gold band uh, with a heart or star on it. And I wore that too. So um, the first money I earned, I spent on jewelry too. And I guess uh, in that case, my mother is my main inspiration. Um, watching her wear jewelry of different periods and different times and styles together Um was probably the, the main influence in, in my life and the early years. Thank you for your answer, Cora. Um, as working in the same field, I know how challenging it is to trace your supply chain and to be fully transparent. And um, as the industry is slowly making improvements, can you tell us how sustainability and ethical sourcing can be integrated in jewelry design and production? And uh, what is your methodology? Well, I think, yeah, you know, the supply chain for jewelry, especially when we, you know, at our end, which we design, it's vastly long. I mean, it's, it, it, there's a, it's much longer and more complex than many. And partly because we are dealing with uh, gold, which is an element, um, it can be refined. And then really, unlike diamonds, to an extent, you can trace or, or gemstones, because you have you can zoom in and see inclusions, which give you um, a sense of their origin. Gold is far more tricky um, with that. Nonetheless, um, and I double checked yesterday again, um, all of my suppliers, um, they all are um, 
almost all of them are registered with the Sustainable Jewelry Council or their gold suppliers um, are registered with um, this organization that helps, especially big organization, um, to make sure that their supply chain at, at every step of the way um, is, is, is sustainable and of a good source. And this means that much of their gold, I mean, all of their gold is either recycled, um, comes either from um, old gold that has been melted down, but also from uh, ingots and old coins. I had the fortune uh, as being part of Red Gemx to watch a movie about the Amazon and about how small scale mining is absolutely destroying the rainforest. And I have to say, you know, I've, I've always known that, that gold is very polluting, to refine gold is very polluting, but that actually mining it on a small scale, the impact that has on the rainforest um, was really new to me. Um, and, uh, and I think for many people probably listening, they don't really have an understanding that, you know, deforestation or the Amazon is a terrible thing. You cut down the trees, it destroys the forest, and it takes a long time to regenerate. Um, but when you are mining gold in the Amazon, you basically destroy the earth underneath the forest and you turn it into a sludge, um, a kind of liquid um, liquid mud. And then you kind of wash that for the fine traces of gold. And what happens is these trees are destroyed and you are left with a pile of mud that is so thick that nothing can grow in it. Um, so that kind of um, destruction to the Amazon, um, I have to say, uh, was very scary. And that I, I have any part to play in that, you know, made me very aware. And it made me, you know, go back to my supply chain, which of course, you know, I'm reliant on my goldsmith. My goldsmith then has to get either sheets, wire, or cast jewelry, because that's how it's made. You either buy blocks sheets or wire uh, as a goldsmith that you then you work uh, directly with and, and, and transform or you cast it. And so, of course, the, the goldsmiths are then reliant on the next part in the chain, which is their their gold supplier. And I made I, after I watched that movie, I double checked again because I knew the, the my main source I know for a long time has been registered with a fair trade company again to check with every single person I'm working with gold, you know, where, where they get it from. And uh, I was very glad to know, you know, none of them um, are, are with a company that even a part of them has this type of gold. Or, you know, also when you go to a foundry, you can choose more expensive and less expensive gold, um, partly because if it's, it's recycled and, and sustainable, it costs a bit more. Um, um, and, you know, we hope very much that in the future that won't even be an option anymore. Um, but the industry has come a long way because I do remember 15 years ago, uh, an Italian lady coming to me and said, oh, you know, we we are the first people to make, you know, sustainable eco gold in the Italian company. Um, but so far we can only make so little. We can only supply one company with one collection for it. Um, and uh it's great to hear that people, you know, are, are more and more um, trying to do that. But, you know, this is a small part. And this also makes me rely that every part of the, the chain is, is correct. And I, I also got a gemology degree um, 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. And it was quite obvious already then 
and they didn't say it explicitly that even if you know a lot of places that are, have you know very good mining um, transparency and the way they work, there is very little for us control to know if there are other other aren't other places that mine stones and they basically mix that raw material into that into that uh, that source. And I think there's a it's a very it's a very tricky thing um, and it, that, you know, it makes you realize that sometimes paying a bit more for your end product is probably worth it because you can then go to a stone dealer that, again, is registered with a, a certain supply chain. But that means that and every time you are, you know, you belong to an organization that supplies this quality stones, you're always relying on big companies because a small company cannot afford to be um, part of a, an organization to be cleared. I think mean, there's very few mines or very few places that have that um, money and time to spend on, on being certified. And, and, you know, I get, and I know that many people in my industry, they get bombarded uh, on Instagram and sometimes by email on a daily basis by people in countries like Pakistan or Indonesia or, or India, you know, small companies, people who are just starting in the business and want to do their best to buy raw gemstones. And then I think, well, if I would now be part of the Sustainable Jewelry Council, I can't even consider this for an instant. And then I kind of also realize these are a lot of young, you know, people that are just trying to make a living and, and trying to best to carve out their their small part in the world. And I have to say, it's, it's always a, you know, and I have bought once or twice from, from, from these sources. And, you know, most, you know, you have to take a risk. They have to be honest. You send money before anything arrives. And 90% of the time, like most people on earth, are honest people. Um, but, uh, but then you think, oh, well, am I going to close the door because I want to be 100% sure of my sources? the entire world that all these small, smaller dealers are automatically um, deemed bad. And I think it's very, it, we have to be very careful to not automatically people that haven't got certification to say they're bad just because, you know, they do their, their best, probably a large part of the time. Um, it's a bit like being organic. You can be very sensible farmer, but if your neighbor is spraying, you or you you sprayed a few three years ago you're still not allowed to be called organic because of the legacy the history your neighbors even though at this moment you know you do your best so it's um it's a tricky thing i think in the jewelry industry and i think people have to uh, uh use common sense and i think it's 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 when you're trying to cut corners and save costs every time uh is the time when you're most likely to um use use resources in your product that are not um, what they should be. How do you feel about it? Yeah, indeed. To gain all of those certificates you mentioned takes a lot of time. It's a long way. It's a lot of money. And, for, and, it, and it, it's realistic. You know, I had a, I, one of my Italians, I now produce Ital uh, titanium jewelry in Italy or some gold things. And the company was just finally going through certification um, and you know they're a bigger company. They've been around for a longer time, but it's it's a it's just crazy. One of the few in the world that produces titanium and certified titanium is crazy. I mean, also you know uh, 
a lot of things, you know, what is really good for the environment, you know, titanium is supposed to be this, you know, good for the environment, little waste, little cost to energy to, to produce it. But then they forget that the powder to make the titanium to 3D print requires almost a, 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 an enormous explosion. So it's, it's a, it's so, it's, it's so difficult to judge um, um, things, you know, um, what, what is good and not. And I think, you know, I think as long as everybody's trying their best, everybody's asking questions. Every time a supplier is asked a question, it makes them think actually they need to ask the next person along the chain again and, and, and make sure they care. And, and I, I have seen change over the past 20 years. But I also want to support the small people, the little people, the people that can't afford to to be certified. So that that is my problem. You know, it's terrible that we employ people in Bangladesh um, in these terrible conditions to make clothes. But I mean, at least, but then saying we're not allowed to do that and then they're all unemployed is also wrong. And I think it's a very important to find the middle ground where people are given a wage that it's a fair and safe wage. I totally agree with you, Cora. Uh, there are very few meaningful initiatives working on extremely small scale. Um, for example, there is this collaboration that I've discovered recently focused on female miners in East Africa, shattering the glass ceiling in a male-dominant industry and creating a big opportunity um, for women empowerment. Um, aside from ethical production and going back to aesthetics, I see that you're wearing this beautiful sculpture ring you have created yourself. Um, and I wonder, are your pieces an intersection between art and design? I like to wear jewelry and I design jewelry to be worn. Um, I don't really see jewelry as an artwork, partly because for me, an, an artwork is an object that has very uh, no there's no function this is where in a way the where art and design meet design for me has has a functional element whereas art yes it has their function is to decorate the wall or a pedestal or a room but it has less function and so for me um um function is very important you know is it form over function or function over form is a big dilemma in design, I definitely think that things have to function. I'm a woman, I've got kids, I'm a practical person. So for me, I think it really has to work as a ring. If it looks a ring and you can put it on just for a second because it's fun and conceptually really interesting, that doesn't work for me because then the jewelry is wearing you rather than you wearing the jewelry. And that's not what the kind of jewelry I like to wear or as a result I make. And so I kind of make the jewelry I want to wear. And so for me very much, it's got to look great worn. It's got to be comfortable worn. It's got to look its best worn. And sometimes those pieces don't maybe work in a photograph or when they're photographed in the kind of, in a white space background that the press like to kind of place into their magazines um, easily because they kind of sit in what I call the, uh, they float in space. And, and I don't design things to float in space. I really design them to be worn and all of these questions are like puzzles and i and i and so for me i would always choose design um over art my daughter's chosen the opposite career path um 
and it's uh, so I can't so people say oh your daughter's studying fine art it must be so similar no surprise and for me the difference between designing and art are vast because one is a very problem solving one and one isn't and of course if you're not creative you you know you you probably think everything creative is one thing but for me as a designer um the fine art and and uh being a designer are very different designers like to solve problems and make things work uh whereas artists just like to be have, have a different sense of freedom and so i think we're um and i think we have great respect for each other and we enjoy each other's company and we're usually friends with one another but we're very we're two different animals and so when people call me an artist but they can do that whatever they want but i i think a great designer is as important and as great a person in society as a great artist i don't think one is better than the other the reality is in both there's very few that are really great and who are the great ones for you the jewelers that you champion I love old jewelry and jewelry of the past and so uh it's very difficult I think you, you know you the the jewelry I design is very much I've been doing it for a while now is very much a response and a and a change from the jewelry that just preceded me um you know so when I started making jewelry I decided pave was not my thing Um, even though someone, you know, like Jar was around, I thought what he does was great. But then why do we need another person doing colored pave jewelry? And I decided very distinctively to say, let's find something else to do. Um, I, I love his early work. Um, I, I like people of the past. I like uh, the, the Fouquet's work and Sandoz of the uh, Art Deco period. I um I think uh, early late 19th century Boucheron tiaras are some of the best. Um I have, I have many different things uh different uh, jewelers who I liked. There's a Templier the late 30s even early 40s some of the pieces is a piece that i really adore um which is on the market way above my budget and i i, I dream of it all the time um because the construction it's a set of, of different pieces actually in silver and, and diamonds value of the pieces is not really that much i think because during the war there wasn't anything else but silver but the way that the curvature and the function of the bracelet is one of the best bracelets i've ever seen um in in my whole uh, jewelry career And so it just depends. Sometimes it's not even a, an entire designer. I'm sure there are people that like my work, but they only like one or two collections or more than other pieces. And I, so I, I feel the same way about um, uh, other jewelries. You know, I, I like how uh, Belpont started using materials that weren't very common in color in a way that other people didn't use before her time. Um, I like all different kinds of stuff. I like Berlin ironwork jewelry, which is very graphic uh, and black. Um, but then I, I like Roman. I really like Roman, ancient Roman, Greek rings. I prefer intaglios to cameos. Um, I like anything. I like all periods as long as it's great. And contemporary today, I, I don't really know what to, who, who um, you know, I, I have a great respect for all different jewelers, you know. 
I try not to look at a lot of contemporary jewelers because it, I feel like then it distracts of my own work. Um, but of course, you inevitably see it all. And uh, sometimes people do similar things. And then you think, oh, they were copying this person, they were copying that. And sometimes it's just zeitgeist. And people do, you know, it's a bit like photography. It was invented in two places at the same time. It happens that way. Cora, you're a core member of GEMX. Can you please tell us more about it and its mission? GEMX is a, a kind of a jewelry social club. Um, we are just a, a large collection of people who are passionate um, about jewelry. And we, we do events together. We go um, meet to look at exhibitions together, um, talk about jewelry, um, go to fairs. Over COVID, it's been largely um, over Zoom. So we've had over, over 100 different people give lectures for an hour um, about uh, different subjects. If they're museum curators or designers, or like you said, they might be discussing um, ethical gem mining or new ways of uh, sorting and cutting diamonds. It could be a bit of anything. And uh, and I think the policy very much is that it's a club and a social thing. It's not a, it's really not about uh, being commercial. It's not a selling platform. It's not a, a place um, to where one person can sponsor something and and uh, as a result get more of the limelight um there's no there's no sponsorship so we really have no conflict of interest in in choosing what to see what to show and what to talk about which is um which i think is very nice i think many times in in the world we are so reliant on money and sponsorship um that very much exhibitions books published and and things that we get to see are um are curated and formed because where the where the sponsorship lies and 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 so Gemex is really very free of this um, and uh, so we have a in London and in New York we have a chapter that is more active that that uh, you know are very active making events and 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 organizing events and we hope that uh, you know as membership grows there will be other people that will want to. Um, you know, take over and suggest to do events in, in different cities because we have members all over the world. And so if someone decides to do an event somewhere else, um, there will be a group of people who will be very happy to take that on. And it's been a great way to meet other people in industry and other people that are passionate. And, and it's really about sharing, a, sharing that passion. And we're made out of many different people. I would say a large segment work in the industry in some shape or form if they are um, curators or archivists or dealers uh, or, or, or work in the gem industry or, or designers, but then there are people that just, it's a, one of their side passions and uh, or historians of a different field and, and branch out and all these kind of things. Thank you, Cora. My last question for you is if you have any piece of advice you would like to share with young jewelry designers who are just starting out. It's a tricky one because I feel like I did a lot of mistakes. Um, and I think um, mistakes and not mistakes. It was a, in a way I could be where I am today, maybe six years earlier had I maybe spent a bit of time working for someone else, but I was young um, and naive and I started my business very, very young, five months pregnant, never having worked for anybody else. 
So I had no idea of what margins to mark up a piece of jewelry, how to sell it, what's the best way to do an exhibition. And I just learned by making lots of mistakes. So one thing I have to say is don't be afraid to make mistakes because every time you make a mistake, you learn something new and it, and, and you move forward. Um, so, um, and not give up. I think a lot of people uh, who, who design or who go in this field, it's a very difficult field to enter partly because producing jewelry often has such a high cost level associated with it. So it's about um, uh, not giving up, make sure that you, you get the right education. So you, um, yeah, you have access to all of that. And then as a designer, be true to yourself. I think many people design what they think they should design or what should be done or what other people want. And I think the only way that you can be a good designer is if you do what you really think is great. I remember being at, at GIA and I, was, I, I did a technical drawing course and I drew something and everybody laughed at me. They thought it was just ridiculous that I made this thing and I... And I I designed an image that was like a paper cut because if you fold paper, you can make paper cuts and it can be a girl and a boy and a tree or whatever. And, and I made a mini brooch that was inspired by a paper cut and everybody thought it was ridiculous. And actually, as a result, when I, did, when I designed what is today my most successful collection, which is all inspired by a lot of food and copper, it's called the Copper Mole Collection, inspired by pastries and so, yeah, and ice creams and, and cakes. Um, but I've made them to a quite a high level, unlike other um, jewelry of the type. I thought everybody was going to laugh at me. I, I designed it, and I was expecting everybody to make fun of me that this was some kind of frivolous jewelry a girl designed. And actually, it wasn't at all. It was a great success. So I think what's very important is design, design the things that really enthuse you, because the things that you are enthusiastic about, that you're excited about, that you'd want to wear, the piece that you'd want to keep, the pieces that you, um, you know, that you that you really spend time on. Those are the pieces you'll sell the fastest because your heart's behind them. And so I think that's really important. And that sometimes people say, "Well, you need a balanced, you know, you need to design this too, and you you need to find something." Sometimes you just you design three great pieces, but then you, you design a fourth because you feel you should be doing that too. Is often a really bit of a mistake and I think you should really one has to stay true to one because of course it's a bit like fashion you know not everybody goes to the same stores and people go to one store or one jeweler because they like that aesthetic and if you're trying to please too many people you don't please anybody so I think very much but stick to your vision stick to one idea and and roll with it and and even after three or five years it doesn't work don't give up because actually in the jewelry world, it takes much longer to make it. You know, everybody in business says, what's your three and five year plan. It doesn't work that way in jewelry. I think uh, if you want to make a name for yourself, if you want to do something, it takes, it takes a lifetime. So believe in yourself, enjoy it and do, do the things that make you enthusiastic and how you make that work for everybody is different. So I can't give advice on that. Thank you so much, Cora, for this precious advice. And thank you for this insightful conversation. Thank you, Elizabeth.